another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gotera, the KHOU 11 sports team. Hope you and yours are doing well as we approach this July 4th holiday weekend. Stay safe, be cautious, be aware, always be mindful of your surroundings, just be healthy. That's the number one message going around these days. So I hope you and yours are doing that and even more, enjoying these summer months as best as you can, being with family. That's the most important thing of all. You know, uh, one of the things that we've learned during this time is, one, a lot of us can work from home, and two, working from home comes with a lot of challenges. I have a three-year-old, and I have a newborn. So every day at my house is kind of like a three-ring circus. Um, Honestly, the newborn isn't as much work as the three-year-old. He is a little tornado, and he wants to do everything all the time, trying to get work in. Basically, I'll work a couple hours in and takes a break, play with him, then work again, take a break, but he'll come into the room. He'll want to be with the Legos, play with Legos. Man, it is it is crazy, and I know a lot of you folks at home have been dealing with some of the same situations, so shout out to you guys working from home. If you haven't been working from home, well, that's great. I am a little jealous. <laughs> Look, don't take this the wrong way. I love spending time with my family, and this, these moments have been so precious, especially getting to be home with the newborn, my baby girl. From the moment she was born, I've basically been at home. I haven't had to go into the office that much, only on Sunday nights when we do the Sports Extra show. So this has been great, but, man, it has been a challenge. Uh, I've told my wife, don't take this the wrong way, but working from home, not ideal sometimes. Anyways, enough with the personal anecdotes. This is Episode 24 of the Time Out with DG podcast. My guest today... A legend, a trailblazer, one of a kind. You can use so many adjectives to describe this man. His name is Jerry Levias, former Houston Oiler, former SMU Mustang. He was the first African-American scholarship athlete and second African-American football player to play in the Southwest Conference. He led the way as far as integration goes in that conference. And the stories that he has to share, not only of those times when he was in college, but when he was in Houston, when he played with the Oilers, getting adjusted to his life after college, and then his thoughts about the current situation, uh, the protests, and the um, the movement that is going on right now. Just amazing words of wisdom from Jerry, who I have to say, I'm very grateful that took the time to talk with me. About a 45-minute conversation, we touched on a lot of things. We talked about those times at SMU, what it was like for him to be on campus during those days of segregation and how he's dealt with the struggles that he had in those days and how it's affected him later on in life. He also has words of wisdom for those that are protesting and for those that are advocating change. They might surprise you, but they might hit home as well. So without further ado, enough of my yammering, which sometimes I go on a little bit too too much during the introduction portion of these podcast episodes. This is Jerry Levias, a man who will go down in history as a pioneer who helped integrate the Southwest Conference back in the day. Well, Jerry, it's good to see you. Uh, good to talk to you. Uh, I guess I asked all of my uh, interview guests, uh, how can you sum up your life? Uh, how can you sum up this journey that you've been on? 
Well, it's, I don't know, it's kind of strange. And basically, I would have to say the journey that I've been on is it was in the good Lord's hand. Because uh, starting out as a young man, I was very sickly, I had uh, polio for a while. And then all of a sudden, to play football, uh, I started off as a water boy and uh, started playing uh, football when my parents didn't want me to play. And then I had uh, a number of scholarships from different universities, and I had never heard of SMU and never heard of Coach Fry. And all of a sudden, after doing all my visits and having a lot of coaches come by our home and visit, he made an impression on me. So it wasn't the idea we never talked about being the first to break barriers or anything like that. But it was just the idea that he talked about education more than anything else. And of course, my grandmother uh, liked him very much. You know. <laughs> that was uh, the deal breaker, probably. Yeah, that was the deal breaker, probably. But she says, you know, there's something very likable and godly about that man. And on that adv advice, I took a visit to SMU because my father wanted to know where is SMU located? And uh, coach said in Dallas, and my father said, that's where they shot the president. Yeah, and that's he, right. Because this, yeah. what year was this then? When, what, what year was when you took your visit? This was 1965 is when uh, I entered SMU, but they shot the president in 63. Right, right. And so, you know, all that history and, of course, going to a segregated school living in the 60s. Uh, growing up with segregation and talking to coach Fry wasn't um, it was easy because he was concerned about my education more than anything else he kind of issued me a challenge <laughs> when he said if you're lucky enough to make my football team <laughs> and uh, if you graduated from college you'll be 18 19 years old and if you're good enough you might pro play pro ball but what I'm interested in is you getting a good education and the only coach that talked about my education that much was Hayden Fry. Interesting. Wow. Well, I, you know, I've, I've dealt with many people over the years that have either their SMU or in Iowa um, really uh, were impacted by him. We'll get back to your college days in a second. I, I actually want to talk about those earlier days. So you were a water boy. Yes. Um, so, but you always wanted to play football. I imagine you see all the other kids playing. You, you kind of wanted to be out there. So kind of, what, what were you thinking about when you were a little kid? You wanted to be out on the field. You couldn't. Then you get so all those emotions until you finally got on the field that first time. Well, yeah, and that has to also be with my, my first cousins, with the Farr brothers, Miller Farr, Mel Farr. Mm. And I was the smallest of the grandsons. <laughs> and so when they wanted to go out in the different parts of town or to the parks where we played football, they couldn't go unless they took me with them. Okay. So, <laughs> because okay. I was the smallest and the youngest of the grandchildren. And, you know, mom and dad and everybody's working. But my grand And we were staying with my grandmother. But she was babysitting us. And uh, well, you have to take him along. <laughs> That's how I started. I'm sure they loved that. Yeah. Sure they loved so that. When it, and then when it came time to uh, choosing sides, you know, playing football and stuff like that, they would basically have to take me. 
or the other team would have to take me just because I was there and I had to play. And that's the way that I started playing football because my mom and dad didn't want me to play because I was always very sick as a young person. My legs wouldn't develop and you know, still have developed after all these years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, playing with older kids. And, uh, and that's how it started off. And then um, wanted to be around the football players. Yeah. Uh, I was in elementary school and, you know, the, I lived maybe a, a block away from the practice field and I would go and get water for the coach with ice and stuff on it, you know, stuff like that. And I would carry around his quart jar of ice and everything like that. So I started off as a water boy. And one day they saw me playing touch football with some of the other kids and the junior high coach name was Mr. Minix. He says, why don't you go out for uh, the football team? Yeah. So I did. And uh, he said, well, we having, you know, you had to go through all the weight classifications and all this. So what happened was I went out, uh, I uh, got on the scales and you had to wear 121 pounds to be eligible. So I got on the scales and I weighed 118. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and I was so disappointed. My heart was broken. So, I went outside and, you know, I was really disheartened and I saw a paper bag and I got the paper bag and I put rocks in it. And I went back into the room and I said, your skills are wrong. And I weighed more than that. So the coach gave me another chance to get on the scale. Got on a scale and I weighed 119. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so close. Go get more. Go get more. So I, was, <laughs> I was so disgusted. I stumped my feet, my foot as I got off the scale and the bag broke. Oh, no. And, yes. And rocks spread all over the gym floor. <laughs> and the coach, uh, they looked at me and he says, anyone that wants to play football that bad, we got to give them a chance. And that's, oh, that's a great story. That's a great story. And the rest is history, as they say. And right? the rest is history. Uh, you know, I made varsity as a freshman. I played junior high ball one year, and that was the eighth grade. But on the ninth grade, uh, I made varsity as a freshman. I played uh, junior high ball on Thursday afternoons, and I played varsity on Friday or Saturday nights. So and, what were your cousins thinking at that point when you finally got <laughs> – <laughs> uh, they, they they were great, and uh, yeah. you know because they had already already taught me. And if you know the history of Millerfar, Melfar, you know Mel uh, Miller also played for the Allers mm-hmm. uh, in professional football, and Mel played for the Detroit Lions. So, and I, I was lucky enough to go to college and and uh, make the football team at SMU. Yeah. So okay. So. Um, back then kind of put me into the moment back then, uh, mid sixties, there was so much going on in the country, civil rights movement is like, put me in that moment for those that didn't live it. Um, what was it like growing up then and having to make a decision like that to go far away from family, go to Dallas, but no, back then it's still far away. Yeah. Um, given all the conditions and all the, uh, the, the situation in the country? 
Well, I'm from a very religious family. And actually in our family with grand, my grandmother, mother and father, you know, we always just believed that we were God's children. So regardless of segregation or anything that would happen, um, my father never would let us drink out of those colored fountains, mm. wouldn't let us use colored restrooms. And my father would not ride the bus because he had to sit at the back. So right now I couldn't even tell you how to ride a bus. But from a religious family, and Coach Rye talked to my grandmother, and she said, like I told you before, something godly about that man. And I visited SMU, and instead of the visitations that you take at the different schools where they take you out, somebody show you around and your party and stuff like that, I was put into a, uh, a course called The Nature of Man, a discussion for that weekend. Wow. When I visited school. So it was more about education than anything else. So on that advice and him talking about education, I decided to go to SMU on that, not knowing what was going to be ahead for me. Were you nervous, scared? Did you have so much faith in Coach Fry that, hey, this is the man that's going to kind of put me in the right direction, the right position to succeed? I mean, what, what were the emotions leaving home um, and going to Dallas? Well, I didn't have any emotions because that one thing about it, my parents always made sure that we traveled. And every time that we traveled on summer vacations, it was out west or northwest. Oh. So I had been around people, if you want to say different, uh, you know, from it wasn't as segregated yeah. as it was in Texas and Beaumont. And I'd been around, you know, if you want to say white people or stuff like that. And my parents never did, you know, talk about race except for certain things to protect yourself because you know there's racist situations but then we got a chance to go out west got a chance to go to restaurants and got a chance to uh, to live in hotels and, and things like that so i had so going to see coach fry i mean going to smu you know it was just another school yeah i had uh, and it was a great school the, the information that I got on the school was a great school and meeting the president of the university, Willis Tate <clears throat> there was just a great experience, but no one had written in the stories. I mean, in the papers about what it was going to be like, although it did come out that Levias would be the first Negro that attended the Southwest conference. And that would, basically new for me, but before going to uh, college, I was uh, in all-star games, two all-star games. Uh, one was called the Big 33, and uh, that was the best of Texas, played against the best of Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. And so, uh, you know, Bobby Lane and Doak Walker, two great people. Uh, Texas had been beaten the first year of that all-star game. And so Bobby Lane and uh, uh, Doug Walker went to the governor, Governor Conley, mm -hmm. said like, uh, we, we got beat, but if you would let uh, the UIL, which was, you know, for all the high schools, yeah. play their all-star game on a certain day so that we can take our best players from Texas and play Pennsylvania. 
And the government said, yes, we could do that. And it said, uh, we need one more favor, Governor. And he said, what's that? says, we need some colored boys. <laughs> Is that right? Is that that, 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 that's the way it was in the 60s. Yes, right. So, and uh, it was three of us that went, and I was one of the uh, black players chosen to play in the Big 33. And, you know, when you were chosen to be best, one of the best 33 players out of Texas, yeah, that's one heck of an accomplishment. That's impressive. And you won. Did you win? And we won. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, did they go and back to the, did they go back to the governor and was like, see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then they signed me up for another All Star game uh, in Wichita Falls. <laughs> so you know that that whole summer I was playing football and then uh, got to SMU. But then when I got to SMU, it was kind of a different story. Yeah. So let's, let's get to that. Uh, you had, you had so many life experiences. You'd been around so many different people, uh, different groups together playing. Um, what did you encounter at SMU? And I'm, I'm gonna let you take it there because I, I, I read an article that said it was a living hell. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to let you kind of walk me through that and explain it. Cause I mean, there's no way that many <laughs> can even imagine what that felt like. Well, you know, it, it, it was tough. And uh, at, at the same time, I was, uh, you know, a little hesitant about going to SMU after, you know, playing in the All-Star Games and then going to uh, signing up the first day uh, and going to classes and stuff like that. And then one of the guys that uh, had played in the All-Star Games uh, got a, I got a chance to know him briefly. We were going to be roommates, but then when I got to SMU, uh, he didn't want to room with me. Mm. So all the four years of uh, SMU, I had no roommate. Uh, and then when I went to classes, uh, it was basically, uh, you know, like I, I said before, like roaches scattering when I went into the class and people would rather sit sit on the floor than to sit next to me. And so one day in the classroom, young man asked, is it true that colored brains are smaller than that of whites? And I'm going, okay, <laughs> where did this come from? Oh my gosh. So the professor was, she says, well, let me give you an example, sir. She says, I'm gonna take Mr. Levias's child and let him have the run of the world, have the best education, expose him to everything that's great about America. Say, but then I'm gonna take your child and lock him in a closet, make him work for free, and not even feed him as much. So which one would be more educated as she went on with the class? And that was the first instance that I had of uh, what it was gonna be like. And then playing freshman football, I don't know how it worked out that way, but I was put on the last team, offensive team of uh, the football team. Freshmen couldn't play varsity at that point. Mm -hmm. And we were scrimmaging against the first call uh, defensive team that they had. Oh. And of course, I made my presence known oh, yes. uh, on, in our first scrimmage. 
But during that time, one of the players after the play was over would jump in my back, crush uh, my ribs and wedge the vertebra. And so wow. my, and so then playing on a freshman team, uh, it was hell. Then we had to play Arkansas and all the other Southwest Conference where there were no blacks on the team. So you know what that was like. So after every game, uh, I ended up in the student hospital every game. So, no kidding. Yeah. Every game. Every game. So did you, you know. Did you ever think about quitting? Yes, I did. Yeah. And uh, after my my first semester, my my freshman year, I had uh, talked to my sister, and I talked to my cousin Mel, who's out at UCLA, and mm -hmm. told him I just couldn't take it anymore that I was going to leave. So. Uh, I was getting ready to leave and I talked to my sister, told her that I would be out soon. And she said to me, you know what dad said? I said, no, she said, you make your bed, you sleep in it. You gave that man your word that you would attend SMU and you gave him your word. And on those, on her advice of saying that, I decided to stay because otherwise I would have disappointed my dad because my yeah. dad was a very religious man and a, a man of his word. If you're going to do something, you do it and you don't break a promise. So as an 18, <laughs> as an 18 year old, 19 year old, uh, going to SMU, that's what you are, right? 18, 19 years old. Um, what you're, you're subjugated to all the, all these things, um, both in the classroom, on the field, what was going through your mind? Like take me to your mental state at that point. Physically, well, obviously you said, I mean, you, you were beat up every game and, and all that. They would, they would target you and all that, but, but like emotionally and mentally, where were you at at that point in time? Basically I was in the word. I was in the Bible. I, my grandmother, number one, uh, <clears throat> told coach Fry when she, she said, I want him to wear number 23. And he said, well, we could do that. He says, well, why number 23? From Psalms 23, I want him to be like David. And that's why I wore the jersey number 23 in college, because of that fact of, from Psalms 23. And if you, if you know anything about Psalms 23, you read that basically my life. The Lord is my shepherd. And I prayed a lot and talked to my grandmother a lot. And one of the things that, uh, that was very instrumental in that is that when I made varsity at a but before every game, my grandmother had coach try to make her promise. Before every game, I would call her so that she could pray for me. Wow. And coach Fry in three years never did break that promise. Uh, one time in particular, he was playing at the University of Texas and Coach Fry asked, uh, did you talk to grandma? And I said, no, the line was busy because Miller was calling, Mel was calling, and she prayed for us before every game. So we went under the stands, and he saw a band member, and he asked the band member if he had any change. And the guy says, I'm going to buy me some popcorn. And Coach Fry said, you don't need that. And he took the kid. <laughs> he took his kids change, and we called my grandmother for a phone booth uh, under the stadium, and the game was going on. He never did break a promise. 
what did it mean to you to have a coach like that? A man that had your back, it seemed like, um, given all the circumstances and all the things that were happening there. Well, you know, Coach Fry was a very wise man, and only did I also know that he was a he majored in uh, psychology in college. <clears throat> but we talked often, and he would give me words of wisdom, and I had to learn to speak West Texas, how do people in West Texas talk, you know, Coach Wright, you know. <laughs> His words of wisdom to me was, uh, if you don't want them to get your goat, don't let them know where it's hid. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. It does make sense in his own way. That does, yes, it does. In his own, in its own way, and I would explain it to you because basically that's what he was talking about. Uh, Achilles, the, the Greek, yep. and you know his his only weakness was in his heel, and I guess that's what he meant. And he told me also that. He said, you got to dance with what brung you. And I'm going, what is that? Said, you got You're to probably speak. wondering, okay, coach, please, please, uh, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> dance with what brung you. Wait till yeah. I get to the last part. He said, wait. And that means stay with God, stay in your religion. And then he says, always keep your dauber up. And I'm going, what's wrong? My pants unzipped or something? <laughs> what do you mean? Always keep a good attitude. Right. But too. So and that was his words of wisdom. And then when some alum or people would come in and didn't want me there or threaten to fire him or something like that. And I was in a room one uh evening and one of the alum, alum was talking to him about me being there. Said he was gonna withdraw our support if I stayed in school. <clears throat> so after the meeting, Coach Rye came into the room and I was in the next room. And I said, what's, what's wrong, Coach? Is there a problem? His famous words were, that old dog can't hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so he had your back. Yeah, that, back. Was, that was a way for him telling me, don't worry about it. Right. He doesn't mean it. I mean, never any profanity or anything like that. But it was all with some West Texas stuff, and uh, you had to figure it out, and then uh, – I was kind of his communicator for a while because, and had to learn because he would be coaching and he would say, you guys are moving like the eastbound of a westbound donkey. <laughs> he just figured out, I said, what is that? He said, move your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that too. So, you know, but coach was a great guy. And yeah, I would say, uh, he didn't coddle me from anything. Did you, when did you fully appreciate what you were doing? Uh, the integration of the Southwest Conference. Um, did you, you were in it, right? You were in the moment. So you probably weren't even thinking about it right then. Or were you? Like, when did you really appreciate what you were accomplishing in that, in that moment? I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about being the first or this. I was thinking about being a good football player and a good t teammate and uh, graduating from college. Yeah. You know, sure, there were uh, times when I felt like uh, I wanted to quit. And, of course, you know, 
and some of the stuff, some of it, you know, really hurt, you know, stuff like that. But Dr. King told me, I always keep my emotions in control. Mm. And I think I overdid it because, you know, I had no emotions, you know, uh, when they would call me the N word or spit on me or stuff like this, I had no emotions about that. It was something, it, it really kind of basically jacked me up kind of for life and, you know, for therapy and stuff like that. But having not to, having to go through those things and live with it without showing any type of emotion, but I let my performance yeah. speak. I was only good for Saturdays. Mm. And so I never did have a college life, but I had a life outside of college and that could have led to a lot of wrong things because, yeah. you know, a young man going to college, 18, 19 years old, I didn't have a college life. So everything and all my, basically most of my associates mm -hmm. were outside. Of yeah. College. How did you do it? Like, that might be a simple question for me. How did you, how were you able to not show emotion? Well, what coach, what uh, Martin Luther King and with the, uh, with my grandmother mm -hmm. and when she would, she would, I would call her and I says, you know, grandma, it's kind of tough. And I said, they're doing this and do this. She says to me, bless them but they know not what they do. Mm. And I said, Grandma, these white boys trying to kill me. <laughs> so what do I do? She said, stay with the Lord. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I almost lost my sight in college. So, uh, you know, a lot of things happened. Uh, so you almost lost your almost sight. almost lost my sight because somebody, pardon me? So I said, you almost lost your sight in college. Yes, I almost lost my sight. And, you know, because someone hit me in the eye and knocked my eye back in, in, in one of the piles, you know, something like that. So I took a lot of abuse from other players and sometimes from the referees because I didn't get a break. Did you, when did you, when was there a switch with your teammates or was there ever a switch that, did they, did they start backing you up? Some of the guys start backing you up? Like when, when did that happen or did it ever happen? Well, I, I would think that uh, it happened my senior year when uh, we played Auburn and we went to Alabama and played Auburn, of course. And I got off the bus with a George Wallace hat. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And there were signs of people using all the N words and go here and there, but my teammates backed me up and that was my senior year. Uh, but at, at that time we had uh, uh, Rufus Cormier and Walter Haynes, two more black guys on the team. So, and, but as my sophomore year, uh, I was the only black on the conference. And then I had, I had a chance to go to uh, Baylor. Um, I had some uh, one or two friends that went to University of Baylor. So I, I would go to Baylor and see them and got a chance to talk to John Westbrook and find out the things that he went through. And, you know, John was a very religious man. Mm -hmm. We went through a lot of the same things. So, but so when, when it came time to when it came time to leave SMU, was is it a uh, was it a relief when you were done? No, uh, it wasn't a relief <clears throat> because I had done uh, gone through 
everything at SMU. I mean, right. you, you're talking about all the racist incidents uh, for four years without a roommate, four years without uh, a college experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I was done. It's still at this point that uh, I have a lot of problems going back to SMU. Now, it's good for me to, uh, I go, my wife drives, but on the way back, I drive. Really? Yeah, because I still have some type of emotion with that. And that's one of the things I've had, uh, had to go to a couple of doctors and talk about, you know, just get a great understanding of what was going on. And a friend of mine uh, wrote a book called Mastering Your Pain. And so I had to learn, not physical pain, but emotional and social and psychological pain that I had to try to get over because I never could cry, never could show any type of emotions. And that, you know, that, that, that's, that's kind of tough. You ask anyone without showing any emotions because it was always, always when you, when I grew up also, you, you know, fathers would always tell their son, a man never cries. Right. Yeah. So in that, when I wanted to, I couldn't. Uh, when I wanted to show emotions, I couldn't. Uh, I had to take what it was and smile and go about my business. But I let my performance right. speak for itself. Yeah, I guess by relief, I'm, in a way, I meant that, you know, you go through four years of hell. Um, and you know, now, now the next opportunity awaits. Right. Um, so I, I guess by relief, I meant like, Hey, you felt like maybe at the moment I could kind of put that behind me and go pro and realize, but that some of that stuff followed you pro as well. So, I mean, this, it wasn't just a, a college thing. Maybe that was, it was a little bit more intense for you, but kind of walk me through that transition. Now you're going pro and you're still having to deal with some of these same issues that kind of followed you. Yeah. Well, you know, because the, the country in itself, was segregated and then everyone had not caught up of course in the 60s and the, the black power movement with, with Carlos and uh, those guys John Carlos <clears throat> it hadn't caught up yet and people in their minds about black people's segregation had not changed mm-hmm. and uh, I would say one of the reasons why I had to <clears throat> you know what I caught hell because I moved across Westheimer you know, uh, you know, in in here in Houston, Texas, I couldn't live in certain areas where I tried to buy a home certain times, and you know, they wouldn't let me buy a home. So you know, this type of thing always came up, or something I always had to fight because of racism. But at the same time, I kept my faith in people, you know, and I kept, you know, there's something that was the serenity of prayer was always been part of my life. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So it, it didn't stop at SMU, and it didn't stop, and it has not stopped at this country a yeah. lot. But at the same time, I, 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 I try to deal with it and see from everyone's standpoint. I deal with it from a child of God. Yeah. I, know that I'm, I know that I'm black. And you know that I'm black by looking at it, but you don't know my heart. Right. You don't know what I feel. You know, so it's, <clears throat> it's you know, your, your body, mind, and your soul. I know it's in my soul. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've been able to live and love 
like I do because I believe in the word, uh, even though it has been tested a bunch, believe me. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's absolutely. But you also had, you had people though that, that did stand by you. you know, yes. When you came back to Houston and I mean, those people now to this day, um, lifelong friends, I mean, those, those folks that stayed with you. I mean, how does it feel when, when the outside world's kind of got this pressure on you, but then you've got your, your circle of, of, of a group that's helping you. That's gotta be so reassuring in that moment for you. Yeah. Cause my, my godparents, uh, they kind of adopted me, uh, when I was in college to flash news and they call themselves godparents and they were Jewish. And then when, uh, of course I was playing in all-star games and they wanted to make sure I got situated because I'd, I uh, was playing in Houston. They would come here and they would get me an apartment and, you know, get my stuff moved in and stuff like that. But then when I would show up for my apartment, apartment, it wasn't there anymore. So, but then, you know, I met guys like Barry Warner, who's always been a lifelong friend and, and uh, associate of mine and, Sometimes he opened doors for me in certain places and told me where to live. So I lived in Maryland a bunch uh, because of my godparents' friends and Barry's friends. So, you know, I had, I had good people uh, helping me through it and look out for it. So, but uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I had a guy with your station, uh, KHOU. I, I used to do sports on the weekends. Uh, people didn't know I was probably the first black Sportcaster here in KJU with Ed Edwards. And yeah. Do the weekend sports. To be honest, I uh, I did not know that either until you told me the other day. I did not know. That's that was that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it, it really is. So I had I had friends who who liked me not as a ball player yeah. and they got to know me as a person. And it wasn't about, you know, because you know people would that old what they want to call it, uh, illogical syllogistic reasoning. That <laughs> what they said, a, a major premise minus premise is a, you know, a solution. What that uh, all black players are dumb. Jerry's black, so therefore Jerry's dumb. Yeah. So I had to prove myself. Uh, you know, all blacks are crooks or thieves or stuff. Jerry's black, so he's a he's a thief. So, you know, I moved into uh, areas and, and had to get people to buy a home or get an apartment for me. And then when I showed up, but you know, that was, that was those laws, but every day you're going to come in contact with someone who has some type of racist idea about something or how you're supposed to, uh, how, if you're black, what you're like. And, you know, with this Black Life movement, movement and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, people don't understand what, what's been going on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sure, things have gotten better, you know, because of laws. And it's, you know, but God's laws is we, we shouldn't have had to depend on man's laws. You right. know, and a lot of people do not know their own history of mm -hmm. what they belong. So, but my dad always... In my in through the Bible, I've always been referred to as a child of God, and I believe that. What uh, can you believe? Um, can you believe you accomplished what you did uh, after you knew you played pro ball, the Oilers? You you spent some time in the league, and then you you, you retire, and then you kind of look back in the immediate. 
can you believe what you accomplished if, when, when you look back at it? No, I cannot. I, uh, you know, you know, that's why I say God must have the plans. And, and I believe in that 23rd Psalms, if you read it, it's like my life. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I was one of his sheep, the black sheep, you know, <laughs> if they want to call it that. <laughs> but he had a plan for me because I cannot believe the things that I accomplished and how I accomplished them. You know, sometimes uh, we, in the last minute, the last few seconds, four seconds of the last minute of a ball game, I would make the winning touchdown or something. Or, and for my size, I became an All-American. I became an academic All-American. And for my size, you know, I think then when I, I played <clears throat> football, but then uh, not only did I play football, but I, I worked uh, for a company. I worked for Conoco oil company for years uh, I you know businessman I uh, worked with Harris County Protective Services I've been involved with big brothers big sisters I've always tried to help someone come up the ladder behind me young men young women because so you know but otherwise you know because otherwise conceit you know, we stayed away from where I, you know, I went through a period of being so conceited because I was a ball player, but then all of a sudden the good Lord just comes down and say, you know, you're here to help yeah. people. And so, but he, you know, the good Lord has been good to me and uh, it just fantastic. And I lived a great life. Do you see yourself as a role model? Yes, I do. And that's why some of the things that I do, I have to be very careful. Not to say I've always seen myself as you, because during that course of time somewhere, during a period of your life, that ego is going to come in. Definitely. Yeah. I think yeah. that happens. To, uh, well, uh, nah, we've never reached your level, but I think that happens to everybody, right? Your yeah, ego. it happens to everyone. <laughs> then, you, and then you settle down and, you know, things happen and, and you see the, and you have to believe in the words that you read. Uh, Proverbs 2, verses 10 and 11, knowledge and wisdom is pleasure to the heart and soul. Discretion will preserve thee, but understanding will keep thee. You know, sometimes I wanted to say something, sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut instead of getting an argument. But I understand a lot. I understand about how people with racist ideas think. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily appreciate it but they have the idea. And I try not to give them any reason for that idea to be negative about me. So I try to be a positive influence on the people that I meet and I try to leave something positive where I leave or where I am. So what goes through your mind when you see what's happening today um, in the world, in our country? Um, with, with George Floyd, with having a George Floyd, we've seen it now the last five years, you know, this, you know, police, um, police brutality. Um, what, what, what goes through your mind when you see these type of movements and these type of moments that happen in this country that you lived through back in the day? I, I, uh, I appreciate the movements, but I don't appreciate the violence. To get the point across, the, the point will be lost in all of the violence, but I appreciated bringing to the forefront 
people's minds or what things are going through. Uh, and no one knows basically what it is has been like or it is like to be a black person in this country. You know, because that's the first thing they see. They do not get a chance to see you as a person. Mm -hmm. And I want the I want people to realize, see the person as they are, what they what they what they are, you know, regardless. Because if the good Lord just wanted to see how his children were going to treat each other, he would have made all of us the same color, the same nationality, the same everything. But he wanted to see, I think, this is my, uh, what I think, he wanted to just see how we were going to treat each other as children of God. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, he might be, if you don't believe in heaven and hell, and if you get there and you've done wrong, it's going to be too late. So, you know, you didn't, you know, so, and, that, and that's what I would like to see. And I would like to see with all this uh, stuff going on, I would like to see if they're going to have all these situations. Someone needs to put up a, a booth that says, yeah, sign up here to vote. We've been given the right to vote with all these demonstrations and everything. Demonstrate with your vote and that kind of stuff. And, and I would like to also see some of these, uh, what they call rappers and all this modern stuff, stop using the N-word. In the songs, I know you. You know you can't tell me what you're saying, all that kind of stuff. But why you want to use something negative? Yeah. So I don't, you know, particularly care for that. And I wish they would rethink, you know, their ways of thinking if that's what's going to make their money. You know, inward because it's degrading in the first place, and you know it. So, what's the solution? Um, how do we move forward from here? moving on those are obviously good ways to start um but what what else can be done uh moving forward moving forward we ju we, we just basically got to respect each other as uh human beings number one mm -hmm. you know if you're an animal if you're walking on all fours and something like that that's just your problem but if you're going to be a man or a human being stand up on your side and you got body, mind, and soul. Good Lord gave you a, my mind to think, and he gave you a soul to deal with, you know, to take care of that body. But then it's all mental. It's, it's all that hate which is going on because, you know, that's, you know, you got love and you got hate. So, but basically you got to love one another. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of difficult to really love someone, but I, you know, forgiveness, you know, I have to forgive myself sometimes when all of a sudden my temper flares up and I ask God for grace and mercy to forgive me. But I, I tried to set that example even in myself. It's still to this point where my life, uh, I, I can't believe what happened and I can't believe today that I do not hate. I, I really had a taste, and I hope you don't mind me going back. No, it's fine. I had a, I had a taste of hate one time. I mean, real hate. Really? And I'm going to hit the stir, but I, I was running, I ran a touchdown. I mean, I was playing in a ball game. Was that SMU? It, when I was at SMU. I, I, and um, I caught a pass. Young man rolled over, spit in my face, and called me the N word. I mean, and, and that was my senior year. 
And mm. I've gone through three years of all that. And I finally, I finally, I just couldn't take it. I lost it. And that feeling, you never want to feel. I never want to feel that feeling again. And when I basically had, I quit. Uh, I, I got up. I went to the bench. I threw my helmet down. And I told Coach, I quit. Wow. Period. I don't have to take this. And of course, Coach Fry came over and he talked to me and, and everything. He says, I tell you what, he called me Levi when he loved me. He called me Jerry when I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, Levi, we're going to hold him and why don't you just go, you go back in for one more play? I mean, this is like God's work. He said, you go back in for one play. So I ran onto the field and all of a sudden he started calling me back. And I'm going, what's wrong? You changed your mind? No, he threw my helmet out to me. So you're going to need this. So... <laughs> And I got the ball, and I dared anybody to touch me. I ran that with hate. If I'd have had a weapon, if I'd have had something, I would kill somebody. And I don't, I never did, I don't, that's one of the worst touchdowns I've ever had in my life. I don't count it. I did it out of hate. Mm. And I had that taste in, in, in my body, in my soul, in my mind that I've never had before. And I never want to have that feeling to have hate anybody. Now, I might dislike you, but I had hate. I mean, and, that's, and that hurt me more than it hurt the other person to, to lose to hate like that. And if you never, never really hated anything so much, that's a bad feeling. It tears you up inside, mentally and physically, really. It tears you up. Well, tell you what. I've uh, I've loved that. I mean, the, love this conversation. This is uh, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time um, and talking to me about all this stuff. I know it, I, I know it must not be easy, but I really do appreciate it. Well, it's, it's something that I that you know my wife has gotten me to talk to her more. Like somebody said, well, who, what therapy you went through? I said I married her. Yeah, my therapist. <laughs> Best therapist there is, I bet. Yeah. Therapist there is. But I thank you for talking to me and letting me talk about it. And the thing that I want to tell uh, the people, you know, uh, with the protesting, if you're going to protest, protest with your vote. Go vote. You know, and that's the way you, you show your distaste of disdain for what's going on by your vote. We sacrificed for all this. And now just go vote. I hope people need your word, by the way. Thank you very much, and I hope to see you again and talk to you. And God bless. All right. God bless you, too. Take care. Bye-bye.